48-hour art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube. 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is contracts and how to set up a good working relationship with your clients. So um, before we started this podcast, uh, Scott was talking about some things and then Josh and I kind of said, oh yeah, that's we've, we've kind of done a similar thing. Um, and so I don't know exactly where we want to start off, but I feel like there are kind of a, 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 some standards that most um, independent contractors um, whether you're in illustration or design or video or writing or whatever, um, that in, in the creative field where there's some things that you should always do. And everyone always tells people that are just starting out these things. And I believe that beginners, um, you know, and recent graduates and stuff believe that they should do those things. But the fact of the matter is, I don't think anybody actually does those things until they get burned. And I think I know why. I had this experience where I was working for this guy and um, nice, nice enough guy, but it was a good lesson in how not to run a business. And I remember, um, I remember being so frustrated with specific behaviors that he did. And then I struck out on my own. And I remember when it came down to crunch time, I almost made the same type of decisions that he made. And all of a sudden it dawned on me like, oh, there's like actual reasons to like, you know, to make these decisions. And it was an interesting thing. It wasn't the road that I should go down, but I began to understood why if you give into that fear and you give into that emotion, um, you give into that eagerness, um, you can abandon some of your rules. Um, yeah. and so if, if this serves as a warning, um, you know, that would be great because, uh, and if not, Maybe you've been burned, but you don't know what to do about it. I just thought it would be interesting to kind of go through some of those basic rules. And and the first one is um, have a contract. So um, wh- I'm I'm curious what are some what are some of the main things in your guys's contracts that you use for freelance work. So I, I want to just kind of start this out by saying like a lot like a lot of my um, you know peers and people I've met in illustration. Um, I didn't have a contract at first right? and that suited me very fine for, uh, freelance work when the clients paid. Um, it became really problematic when I had a client who had agreed to do, uh, to hire me for a job. And then just basically I got stuck in revision limbo, which is, um, uh, anybody who's familiar with freelance knows what that is. It's, it's like basically when, you're on a feedback loop of revisions and you start realizing that the client that hired you um, thinks that like the whatever flat amount that you guys agreed to um, is basically makes you their, their, their artist until the job is perfect to their satisfaction, even if you've fulfilled the brief multiple times. And so when you find yourself in a situation like that, um, you very quickly, at least I very quickly realized that like 
all my friends and um, you know people I knew who had been at this for a long time who had kind of been like, you want to have a contract, you want to have revision li- limits in that contract. Um, they weren't insane, <laughs> like right. they were pretty legitimate. And so, um, so I would say that um, I do want to preface this with um, there are also different working relationships with different companies. Yeah. So a lot of this is going to be having to do with more of like your standard client, but this won't apply to like how you would uh, work a contract with say like working for a giant corporation or a big company that deals with freelancers on a pretty continual basis. Because in a lot of those cases, they provide the contract and it'll have a lot of that specified. Um, So like perfect example is like Scholastic, you're not really going to argue rates with Scholastic unless you're a heavy enough hitter to argue rates. Like if you're, um, if you're John Classen or like a children's book artist and they're trying to hire you, then maybe you have a place at the table to negotiate. But if you're like a startup or, or kind of an unheard of and Scholastic's offering you like, Hey, we need you to do um, like, what's a good intro thing. They usually hire people for like highlights magazine. Um, if they're like, Hey, we need this like spot illustration for Highlights Magazine. Here's our rate. Here's what we offer. Here's when we need it. And here's the size and resolution. Can you do that? Um, At that point, you usually would just say yes or no. Yeah. um, Because they're not really in a negotiating point of view. Because, like, once again, they're such a big publisher with so many large contacts that they they literally don't need you. (laughs) Um, and, And they work with, multiple illustrators so what they're offering you is pretty much what they offer every illustrator um save like i said the the few rock stars out there it's very similar with like magazines too just as a preface um magazines and editorial usually like they pay so much per spread so much per spot um so much per single illustration and it's not super up for negotiation it's pretty much just a flat rate and if you can't make it great they'll find someone else um so that's something to keep in mind. And it's really important to keep in mind with like things like weeklies, like um, which are notoriously terrible in pay, but they actually do offer a, a slight bit of exposure, which is usually a dangling carrot that, that doesn't end well at all. <laughs> but with a weekly, you know, most artists doing weekly illustrations like LA Weekly, um, I'm forgetting what the one in Portland was called, but I did stuff for them a long time ago. Um, and usually that's like really tight turnarounds on a very tiny budget. Yeah. Um, but, but so those things aside in general, um, which you, you, ha- you need to specify a few things in contracts. And as we're getting into this, I think all of us would recommend that you get uh, the graphic artist guild pricing and ethical guidelines book, because it just offers templates for a lot of, um, a lot of great contracts that are just blank. They're like blank slate contracts. Um, their pricing is a little um, high, <laughs> a little, yeah. a lot high. <laughs> and Even I, for like, I go with like I've got one that's probably like I don't know how many years, ten years old or more, and it's still you know, it's well, still really high. Not that yeah, their sample size for their polling is very specific. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. they're they're not they're not pulling everyone. They're pulling um they're they're pulling like the elite. You know the New people. York and LA. Yeah, and and the people that can afford to 
you know, pay the dues to be a member of the illustration society and stuff like that. It is a good negotiating. Like if you can present that and say, if, you know, if you get somebody that says, well, that sounds kind of expensive, you know, then you could say, well, here's what the standards say, even though, you know, yeah. yeah, and I think it's a good framework to start with, but I mean, I think one thing I'd keep in mind, this was a couple years back, I think it's still on their site, so if you guys search around, you might be able to find it, but I did a talk actually about pricing to the Society of Illustrators in LA, and I was like up there with one of the main editors of the Graphic Artist Guild book, yeah. and I mentioned the inflated pricing, and she laughed and was like, he's right. <laughs> and, and it was like... It was hilarious, but um, I think another thing that happens is like it, it's sort of like um, they ask you know a web designer like what they're charging, and then the web designer says an inflated rate, and then the next guy who's pulled sees the web designer what they're saying, and they're like, well, I gotta say it's like, <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things of I definitely don't know if it's all that honest because I, I've I've talked with some pretty heavy hitting designers and artists and those rates just don't always happen. I mean, ideally in a world um, that's kind of perfect, that would be what you'd see. But I, I would guess even with the people they're pulling, the rates are pretty exaggerated. So keep that in mind, but on it's the, a good framework for writing contracts. On the, yeah, and on there's the, a lot more. Go ahead, Corey. I was going to say on the local level, because um, they have, you, you can go in there and there's tables and it'll give you like geographical reach and business size and things like that. And on the local level, I've found that they are um, their range is accurate on the graphic design side and helpful on the illustration side. Uh, because, for for example, um, I didn't know what to charge for this one job, and it was one illustration, but it was actually six illustrations because they wanted they wanted me to design uh, four different characters in a background and then. Some other elements and you know some some vehicles and things like that and then illustrate it so that it was all one giant thing but then also so that it could be broken up into different pieces and and so yeah. they were going to use it you know they're going to they're going to splinter it and use it as you should you know um and i i had no idea what to charge for that and so i actually went there and uh and i just looked it up and i was like yeah that seems reasonable and uh and i got like not quite the lower end of that range that they show but like Mm -hmm. a few steps above the lower end of the range. And I just showed him the book and I said, you know, Hey, you know, because we're doing this, this, and then this. And, um, uh, and it was really good because it seems like a lot for one drawing. Yeah. Um, but it actually took me several months to do. And a lot of it was because of the back and forth with the client, but a lot of it was just yeah. because it was really complicated, <laughs> really complicated drawing. Um, and so like, I, kind of what we've already said, like using it, using it not necessarily as like a strong arm in negotiation, but just like sometimes, um, especially on a local level, you will be hired by somebody and neither of you knows what to charge, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's not that some, there are some unscrupulous business people out there that are trying to bleed everybody dry and, you know, frankly, uh, they're going to go out of business or, you know, continue to run through you know, the dross that is willing to deal with them. Um, but not everybody is out to, out to get you. And some people just don't know, you know, and some people yeah. are like, well, I think this logo should cost 50 bucks. And you're like, well, let's talk about what it takes to make a logo. But part of that discussion can be like what Scott was saying, here's some industry standard rates, 
you know, yeah. and, and I'm here. This is this is what I charge because of where we live and and your reach and whatnot. So it's not, you know, I know that you're not like a internationally recognized business or whatever. Um, but you know, my time is worth something, and and that and oftentimes just seeing like they want to pay, they don't want to pay too much, but they don't want to pay less than you're worth. And yeah. sometimes sometimes there's a standard that it just kind of helps rather than say. I don't know. He just said this number and I, I don't know if that's high or low because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You can both look at this thing and say, let's discuss this table here and kind of decide together where we think we are. Yeah. And so so like one of the things that I would say just to early designers is while you look at those rates and realize they're inflated, they're not that inflated. Right. And that's a good thing to realize too because if you're underbidding, you're really setting your own business up for failure. Yeah. Um, so a perfect example is like, I mean, this is a couple years back, but like the going rate, like the very bottom rung rate for a t-shirt design was about like $250, just flat rate. Right. That's for like a startup um, that had like no money whatsoever. That's like the absolute lowest you, you should charge. Um, there are people who are doing those for like 20 bucks, yeah. like $30. Um, they're going on Fiverr and offering designs like that for cheap. So what those people aren't realizing is like, now keep in mind, that's not like what I would charge, uh, most people for design. I'd probably charge a lot more, right. but that's, that's the base, like lo- absolute lowest I can think of for like a t-shirt design. And what, what you got to realize is like, if a guy like me is doing t-shirt designs for like you know, let's just um, say like more of a standard for me, which is like 500. So if I'm doing my t-shirt designs for 500 a piece, um, I'm going to do two t-shirt designs and I've made what you would make charging like $50 a a shirt design. Um, I've just basically, I don't know, I'm trying to do the math on that. So I've made like 20 times as much um, as you with less uh, less effort and right. uh, with probably more skill because I've been paid the adequate amount to make it the best possible design that I can. Yeah. Um, and so while I'm doing it, I'm not worrying about like the lights going out because I'm not paying my electric bill or my day job, um, you know, conflicting with it because it's, it's allowing enough buffer to kind of get that done. Um, well, and so like when, when you're starting to negotiate rates, it's good to ask around and find out what industry standard is and try not to like base it on all the friends you have. Like, um, a perfect example of this that I see going the wrong way is like what I see people charge for, um, for like fan art and, uh, for like commissions. I was going to bring, I was going to bring up commissions. Oh my gosh. Go ahead. So we've talked about this before, and I'm not going to trash anybody who's charging, uh, you know, a low amount for a commission because, you know, hey, I've paid friends like what I think is a steal to get like a a decent commission. Yeah. And um, as an art director, like, hell, if you're going to charge that, I'll take advantage of it. (laughs) Um, But but the point being like, um, you know, some of the rates I've seen for commissions, like if you did like, you know. 2000 commissions you wouldn't be able to pay like a month of rent and or a month of your mortgage and um and to me like when it starts getting so low that if you do the math like you'd end up kind of being better off spending that time doing fast food 
I, I, I always recommend this for people starting out, like when, when coming up with that rate, um, to just, just do fast food and then draw what you want and, and like take away the stress and the specialization of, um, of doing the art and just do the fast food to make the extra money. Cause you're going to make a lot more. Yeah. And it kind of, um, it kind of depends on the stage of life you're in. You know, I mean, there, yeah. there are times in my life, uh, like in college and whatever, where 20 bucks would have made a break made or broken make or break. I don't know. Anyway, past tense of make or break. Um, my month, right. Where, you know, if I could get a couple for 20 bucks, then that would have been great. But like, like nowadays I look at, I look at some people that are charging 10, 20, 35 bucks for a commission and the work that they're doing is incredible. And I, and I think one of two things, either they are insanely fast and way better than I am, which, which is likely in a lot of situations. Um, or they are massively undercharging. Um, and that's, and that's fine. And I don't, I'm not one of those guys that's like, you're ruining the industry or whatever. Um, but I, I just can't, I can't compete and participate in that world with the expectations and prices where they are, you know, cause if yeah. you haven't, if you haven't drawn Batman, um, you know, for DC, uh, then kind of there's this expectation in, in the commission world where your commissions are insanely low. And I'm like, yeah. well, I, you know, I'll just. I'll just be over here drawing my own book or whatever, because it's going to take me just as long to do that commission as it would to do half a page in a comic or something. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Pricing is kind of an interesting thing. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like we're maybe getting lost in the weeds of pricing, but yeah. I think that's at least a valuable point um, to bring up at the beginning is like, you want to work out what you're going to price. Um, you want to include, like you want to, like regardless, whatever agreement you make with a client or a potential client, make sure it's in writing, like yeah. in an email. Um, basically, like anything said is wind, and uh, yeah. and legally that's the case too, where it, it's just kind of hearsay. So it's like, hey, so and so agreed to mow my lawn. Like legally, it's considered a verbal contract, but it's really hard to prove a verbal contract. Um, and, and by the time you have to prove that the relationship is shot. Yeah. And agreed. so oftentimes I have found that, um, people are willing to talk about a lot of things, but they yeah. will think about the decision they're making before they sign a piece of paper. We've, we've kind of been trained in our society, um, to kind of shoot from the hip verbally, but when it comes down to signing a piece of paper, you take pause. And so what I find is that, um, here's something I see a lot of beginners do a lot of students. They're afraid of their contract and they try to sneak, sneak it by the client rather than use it as a, as a tool, um, almost as a visual aid to explain the process. And so yeah. the, the contract that I use, um, is the illustrator's agreement in the pricing and ethical guidelines book for the graphic artist guild, um, with some stuff that I've modified and added in. Um, and I use that almost as a PowerPoint. I just go, I just go point by point and I explain what each thing means and why that is valuable to the client. And so I say, yeah. Hey, listen, you know, have you ever had a situation where you've had project creep, you know, and you know, one of your customers, you know, continues to want more value without paying you anything. And I said, you don't feel good about that person. Right. And I, I feel great about you right now. I want to continue to feel great about you. And I want this to be a long relationship where you get the value that you're paying for. 
Um, and part of that is going to be um, this revision clause that I have here. And all this really does is just say that we both agree that in this contract that you are paying for up to um, three revisions per milestone. Um, and then once we cross a milestone, going back over that milestone will be a change order where I'll tell you how much it costs. And so each time I just explain, um, and I'll explain the range as well. I'll say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an ABC bid, right? I'm going to give you kind of a, kind of a low ball bid, mid of the range bid, and then kind of a pie in the sky bid. And I said, the main difference between those is, um, the amount of time that I can spend in each of these stages. And so yeah. if you want a really super creative idea, you know, I would go with the C, you know, I'd go with the high yeah. bid because that allows me the creative freedom to be able to explore this. Um, you know, whereas, you know, if you go for the lowball bid, I'm going to get you the best I can within a specific time frame. But as you know, as a business owner, um, you know, time is money. And so there's a limit to that. Um, and, and, and using the contract to teach them your process yeah. actually makes it so that you're not negotiating on opposite sides of the table as much as you are yes. like learning together. And it's, it, I've had ever since I've started doing that, I've had just great experiences with this process because they feel yeah. like they feel more educated about it. And, um, even the ones that where I'm, I'm pricing myself out of their budget appreciate it and and very rarely do i get somebody who's like gets all huffy and puffy sometimes they will even apologize for not being able to afford my rates and i'll say hey that's that's fine i i don't mind at all you know and and i i will even help hook them up with you know maybe a student who's got lower rates than i do because they're still learning or or i yeah. can say you know let's we can still figure out some ways to do this project um and save you some money if we did x y or z or didn't do yeah. this or did that and then it becomes you and your client sitting together on the same side of the table solving a, a business problem rather than sitting yeah. on opposite sides of the table in this big long conference room staring each other down sliding pieces of paper back and forth you know with numbers on them and whatever you know all of that kind of like high drama tv stuff uh is is really detrimental to two people sitting down and and discussing the value of this contract to both parties yeah, I guess in the chats people are mentioning that the feed's been kind of uh, wonking out, but from what I hear, it sounds like it's kind of a YouTube issue. So I think our feed is okay. Okay. Um, and from what everybody's been saying in the chats, like if you just kind of restart it and refresh it, it should kind of assist. Uh, but we'll just kind of power through, and and, and I, hopefully you guys can I, watch it in the retake. I have a local recording, so if the if the live one is shot, I'll upload the local one. Awesome. Um. So uh, capping on to what you were saying, um, I, I think there's a really important lesson from that too, which is um, like a, a constant early mistake when, when you're drafting a contract, let's say it's like an early job, is to try to use legalese. And actually, that's, that's a big error. Um, generally, you want to keep your contract as succinct and as straightforward as possible because basically the um, – the the way that um, contract law works is the more obscure and kind of uh, conniving the contract seems, actually the more problematic it's going to be in that relationship with your client because um, people aren't idiots and if they're very smart business people, they're not going to just sign anything. Right. Um, you know, since running my own business, I've learned to to read every single you know I and T 
in a contract before I sign it, because for all you know, you could be signing something um, that, like I said, is like a revision trap where it's like the person owns you for a flat rate. And that's that's a really bad situation to end up in. Um, another thing to keep in mind is you need to be fair with your contracts. So you yourself have to hold yourself to certain things. Yep. Um, one of the things that I specify in my contract that I think most illustrators do is that the brief, the original brief of the job has to be fulfilled. So um, this puts the onus on me as well as you if you're the illustrator to make sure you're getting as clear of a brief as possible. If there's any ambiguity in writing, get clarification on everything because that, that way you're sure to get the job done as best as you can to fulfill the brief. Um, if you are hired to draw 10 people and you turn in a drawing of nine people and it's beautiful, um, it's still not a drawing of 10 people. Yeah. And so that's, that's problematic, not on the client's end. They shouldn't have to pay out the nose for that revision because that's just you being careless with a brief. Yeah. And so that's something to keep in mind and also a really good way to sell the contract um, and not in a dishonest way, in the best way which is just selling it for what it is. It protects the client from getting ripped off from some, you know, illustrator who's going to basically just send him a happy face and say, the job's done. You owe me money. Right. Um, and it's also to pr protect you as the illustrator from a client who hires you to draw a football field and then goes, Oh, actually I wanted a baseball field. And you're like, but the, the original brief. So the contract can kind of protect that so i would say the the specifics to get into in the contract are like um what's your limit on revisions um does the like you know generally i would recommend doing flat rate that's why i kind of got into pricing um i don't tend to like doing hourly unless it's consistent work so if it's a client who's going to come back a lot they have a, a high volume of work yeah um yeah. perfect example of that would be like I did these books for this publisher, Weldon Owen, that are like show me how books. And they were all like diagrammatical illustrations. And there were hundreds and hundreds of these things. And it was so steady and consistent that I didn't mind working for an hourly rate with that client yeah. um, because it was steady and consistent. And they were really honest in their accounting. And I was honest in my accounting. So it ended up being a very valuable relationship in that way. But I would say, like, for a one-off client, um, doing a flat rate, never really state your hourly. Um, if you're working in-house, generally you're going to be hourly. So that's that's another, you know, exception to the rule. But another, um, Quick, I just want to interject. Another, the, the only time that really I have hourly, well, I use an hourly rate to sort of determine what that flat rate will be. Right. But yes. for revisions after the fact, like if you go, if they go over what is stated yes. then there's an hourly charge for that. Yeah. And that actually works as an incentive. Like Corey was mentioning earlier, you know, when people see something in writing, it makes it a little more serious. So one thing you'll notice about people when they're hiring an artist and, and this is something you get better and better at, like the more seasoned you get as, as a, as a freelancer or as a professional artist, um, you'll notice these telltale signs that the client hasn't really thought it out fully before they've hired you. Yeah. And a lot of that will be revealed through specific questions, um, that come up like when, when they are unclear and the big key is a lack of clarity. So, 
like this old age old rule of like not assuming really applies to doing an effective job as a visual communicator. Um, you need to know clearly everything about the job, like at, uh, down to like how they're planning on printing it um, and what process they're planning on using to print it. Um, because if they're hiring you to do like a kid's book, that's great. But is it an ebook? Like what size is the book? Are there specific um, parameters for like how far in the gutter the illustrations can go? Like, right. is there a certain safe area with the uh, printing company you're using? Because that varies. I mean, generally it's about a quarter of an inch for a safe area, but it, it could be, you know, maybe they're a better printer and it's actually like an eighth of an inch. Um, and those are things you need to know, like what's their bleed? Cause some, most printers it's 0.125 all around, but then, you know, some printers like it, it they need a quarter cause their registrations worse and, and some right. sizes need more bleed. So it's like better to get specifics about that. And let's say you just make an assumption that it's a standard printer and you just give it an eighth of an inch bleed. And then you're told, actually, this was for an ebook. Like do you, what I'm saying is like, there's so many problems that can come up from not getting specifics from a client. And it, and those are not, those do not rest solely on the client. It's akin to somebody coming in or hiring like a plumber. Um, hey, something's wrong with my pipes. And you don't ask any questions or, or going in, like somebody going into a, a car mechanic and like, you know, you're say, saying my car's been making these weird noises. You'll notice the mechanic usually has to ask a lot of questions. Like when you were driving, did it kick in? Was it when you, when you started the car that it made that noise? Like, is it, has it been continuing? Like those kind of questions are like diagnosing the problem. And that's pretty much what you're doing as a graphic designer is figuring out the problem and then solving it. Yeah. And, um, so so that's something to keep in mind. But what Scott just brought up about having an hourly, um, yeah, definitely have an hourly in your contract for revisions. Um, and also understand that revisions happen. So what I usually do, which, which Scott touched on, is I'll take like my hourly rate. Um, I'll kind of roughly figure out like how long it's going to take me. If it's eight hours or something, I want to include a lunch break and two tens, you know, so I'm like legally working in my own brain. Um, and then I'm just going to kind of equate whatever amount of time times whatever my hourly rate is. Then what I tend to do is also calculate two revisions and generally minor revisions. And I'll include that in the contract and I'll clarify what a minor revision is versus a major revision. Um, and so my contract will basically talk about um, the hourly rate for revisions. It'll also talk about the cost of like a complete brief change, meaning like it, it usually will just specify like if the brief is completely changed, we have to renegotiate and come up with a new job because it's a different job at that point. Right. Um, so like I said, that covers the whole football field versus um, baseball field thing, you know, which, which happens. People change their minds. Um, the nice thing about including that hourly in your contract and not sneaking it in there, just being clear about it from the get-go. Because if you sneak, that's where people get upset. Right. They feel mm -hmm. like you're trying to pull a fast one. Um, you generally want to be transparent and just be like, hey, and, you know, like, any revisions past this, like, are billed at this much per hour. And it's usually a, an amount because they're not usually seeing the hourly rate, if you're a smart designer. <laughs> um, they're going to think it's really inflated. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not. 
but what it what it does do is put the fear of God in that person because they they start thinking and calculating in their head like all of that money that that could potentially lead to if they're unclear right. and and you'll bet that their brief is 20 times clear another thing um, and then Be, I want to get it before to before you move on I want to talk to one oh, yeah. point on that um, there there are two things that I suggest that I do when you're explaining that part to the client when you're talking about um, revisions and change orders. And there's a difference between revisions and change orders. Revisions are built into the contract. A change order is something that is outside of the contract, which can come as a revision or it can come as what Josh was talking about. where like your, you know, they, they just change it from a football field to a baseball field, like something major in the creative brief uh, changes, you know, they, they're moving the goalposts or whatever, too many sports analogies, mm-hmm. but um I, either way, what I do when I'm explaining that is I, I, I couch it in a positive way. Um, mm-hmm. And I say, I, I want to make sure that you get exactly what you want. Um, and so, you know, we've got a, a limited number of revisions. And if you want to do more revisions than that, that is perfectly fine. Um, yeah. And, and what will happen is you, you give me those revisions and I will warn you, um, you know, how many revisions you've got left within the contract. And if you would like to exceed that number, that's cool. I don't mind that at all. Um, before I do any work, I will I will sit down, look at that revision, and give you an estimate of how much that change order will cost, and then I yeah. won't do any work until you tell me go. And I've had yeah. both I've had both situations where somebody's like, oh, I need to change this, I need to change this, I need to change this, and on the on, on the second time, I'm like, sounds good. Do you want me to do anything else while you're changing this? Because this will be your second revision. Um, and then they they get their third revision. They come back to me again. I just need to make this one little tweak. And I say, yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to do that. We're out of revisions in the contract. So let me get back to you uh, in a little bit and tell you how much that change order will be. Um, It it probably won't be a lot, but let me just give you kind of how much that would be for this. Um, And they'll say, oh, okay, great. And then I come back to them. And sometimes they go, you know what? I'm I'm being nitpicky at this point. I like it. Let's let's just move on. I don't want to do the change order. But other times they go, you know, I've actually talked to my board, and this is a significant sticking point that we have agreed that we're willing to pay for. Um, yeah. And so, why don't you bill us for that change order, and then go ahead and do it? And I've had yeah, both yeah of those sometimes. Oh, oh, oh I've had, I was just saying I've had both of those responses, and and I'd say ninety percent of the time. Um, it, it was a very positive experience. No, nobody was really upset because I managed the expectations up front and maintained those expectations throughout. Sorry, go ahead, 100%. Scott. I was going to say something. One of the things that I do because I'll lay, I'll lay out you know the number of revisions and everything, and I'll usually go a little under what I you know what um, I'm willing to give as far as for what I'm being paid for the the act that you know assuming everything doesn't go over. Yeah. But sometimes if I if I've you know, if I get to the point where, you know, if say if I've offered like three revisions and then he, and th- th- these are smaller, if it's a major revision, it's different, but yeah. if it's a small revision. Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll let them know, you know, well, we're kind of at the end of revisions, but you know, um, you know, let me, let me, I will do this for you. And they feel like they're getting something uh, extra out of it, which is always good for them. But yeah. the main thing for me is, I just don't want people to go crazy. I don't mind doing maybe a couple extra smaller revisions. Um, but if you don't have anything in that contract, I mean, literally they can change, go change more and more and keep going forever. So, um, so I don't mind maybe doing a couple extra, but, um, and again, it depends on the size of revision. If it's a huge revision, then I'll, then I'll be like, yeah, this is going to cause extra, but that's kind of at my discretion. Like if I want to 
do a, a couple changes. So I, a lot of times I don't mind doing that. Well, and you're pointing out a really good thing, which is you always want your customer to leave happy. And I mean, that's, that's a really good just kind of method of running any business. Um, and everybody appreciates like when people aren't such sticklers for like following the letter of the law that they can't kind of see the humanity in the person they're working with. Yeah. So like, that's something to keep in mind. Like this contract is not like a, it's not a you versus them thing. It's a you working with other people thing. And it does, and it is actually, it does protect you legally um, as well. But it, but it also assures the client that they're going to get what they want. It assures you that you're going to get paid um, for the job and for the time you've put in. And it also assures that um, that basically, like that revision, can be up to you as a favor to the client, um, or, or like I said, in the case where it's just exceeding. Um, human expectations, which I think most illustrators had happen, which is why that's always included in a contract. Um, then at that point, you have some kind of backing to be like, look, you know, anything beyond this, and we're going to have to charge. You know, I, I apologize. I, I wish this were kind of hitting it for you, but at the same time, we've fulfilled the brief. The brief is changing. You know, we need to negotiate a new contract, or you can say, you know, we've fulfilled the revisions, and at this point, we've changed the color twenty times. Um, you know, I, you got to really think about what color you want because at this point it's going to have to bill at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's more of like it's a fail safe because like the, the point of contracts um, isn't to um, uh, it, it's basically like, you know, you sign a contract for a lot of things that it would be nice if in faith. And in reality, you probably can in faith trust that most people are genuinely yeah. trying to be honest thing that's great about a contract is it it does help people be honest it helps them not be tempted to kind of be dishonest it helps um as Corey was mentioning it kind of functions to lay out the expectations which actually will lead to a more satisfied customer because a customer who realizes um like the beauty of having that conversation up front is then the customer is not going to be surprised when you're saying like hey you know i i have to keep a roof over my head and uh, at this point, like these revisions are, are starting to take a lot of like, you don't have to have that long, right. uncomfortable conversation because you've already laid it out that like, hey, you know, my work has value. This is what it costs per hour. So anything that exceeds that, you know, is going to be billed at that. And, um, and, and Josh, so there's you, no surprises, which usually means happier. Clients. Yeah. And, and you mentioned honesty. And I think this is um this is a good point. One, one of the things that I do as I'm explaining the contract is I give the client the benefit of the doubt and I tell them, I tell them, listen, I, I don't work with dishonest people and so I wouldn't even be here if I thought you were dishonest, right? Um, but just, you know, so that you're protected and so that I'm protected, that's why this is here. And you would never do this because you're an honest person, but some people might, you know, try to you know, stiff me on this part or try to get, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so that's why this is here. And I, I found that like phrasing it that way where I grant um, that compliment and that trust also sets an expectation that I'm extending you trust and I, I expect you to deal honestly with me as I deal honestly with you. Um, and that's helpful because if they are going to be dishonest, um, they're going to have to confront that conversation in their memory um, before they're dishonest and they're going to, you know, you know yes. what, like, 
we agreed we agreed to be up front with each other and he's been up front with me this whole time and so i'm not going to try to sneak this by him because sometimes and we've all done this i've done this um you know in the heat of the moment or in the in the emotional decision sometimes you can rationalize a bad choice that kind of screws somebody over um and if you're not thinking about it it becomes kind of an instinctual to be like self-preservation and whatnot but if it's yeah. if it's called out in the open that like this is what we consider bad behavior and this is what we consider good behavior. We're all good people here, so we're not going to do bad behavior. Then when you're when you're up against that choice, very few people, they, they've got to be pretty dang underhanded at that point to be like, I'm going to willfully choose evil. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so usually if you have that conversation up front, again, the contract is a good roadmap to just manage the expectations. So I also think that that's a great trans- transition just talking about evil um, to kind of bringing up one of the other functions of a contract that's really good, which is if you have a client who's not willing to put in writing and agree to a legally binding agreement that they're going to pay you, um, chances are if they're arguing about that and they're having trouble with that, and we're not talking like you know, somebody who's smart maybe reads through the contract and is like, you know, we're a company that works this way, so we'd prefer if this verbiage were changed right. to this or something like that. That's kind of natural. Um, but somebody who's like really like debating what you want to get paid, what it's going to, how much time it's going to take you. Or trying to talk um, you out of the contract in general and just say, hey, to, we, we don't hey, need a contract. Yeah. Back in my day, we did we did business on a handshake. Isn't that good enough for you? Yeah, yeah. Are you trying to say that I'm going to cheat you and stuff like that? Um, generally, like you, you just want to think like, would you, would you go into a car dealership, right, and buy a car? And they're like, you know, paperwork. Like, do you really need that? Can't you just trust that we're selling you the car? Like, you don't really need the title to the car. Right. It's like, no, you need the title to the car. I don't care how much you like that salesperson. Like, you don't own the car until you have a title. And I would say the same, like you don't actually have a client until you have a contract. And, and also just, just to let everyone know, if you're not, if you're not familiar, any artwork you do without a contract, you still own, you oh, yeah. have to transfer that right to the client. So if there's no, if they're against contracts, they don't own that. They, whatever right. you created for them, they don't actually own that unless you sign that, that, that right yes. or a particular license to use that artwork over to them yeah and that's another thing that we should get to is is licensing because that's huge but i just i just want to go up that one part though like i said the thing that's beautiful about the contract before we kind of transition is is that you are literally um warding off bad actors yeah Um, because like i said anybody who's just saying hey we don't want to pay you this will be good exposure um you should have some red flags go up at that point because, you know, would you say that to a hairdresser? Like, Hey, this will be really good exposure for you. Um, it's you're a service worker and to, to do a service, you should be getting paid unless it's something you're really enjoying or a favor for a friend or something. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and similarly, like anybody who's frightened off by a contract, um, would be somebody to be really leery of. And I, and I would just cap on that. Like in my experience, the only people who've been afraid of contracts tend to be startups. And to be honest, in my experience, the only, you know, it's only been a few times in like the, like close to over 15 years now that I've done professional art. Um, 
I think it was like maybe two or three times where I had somebody like just screw me for pay, like yeah. just completely not pay. Um, and each of those times it's been a startup, not like you would think it would be some mega corporation with a team of lawyers that can really get you. But um, I'm really suspicious of, of startups because um, for some reason, the larger corporations tend to not um, even want to bother with like the potential trouble it could cause. And so generally they will pay you and fulfill their contracts. And it's not, not something to go by, but it's just been my experience. Well, anyhow, sorry. And, and, along, and along those lines, um, if there is a red flag in the beginning of that relationship, just get out. It, it's my it's my general rule like it's not gonna get better right there it's yeah. it's like it's like if you're dating somebody and uh and they punch you in the face when they get angry yeah. that 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 behavior is not going to get better when you get married so you don't enter into a contract with that individual right and so if you are if you are having a conversation and they start mentioning, um, exposure and your portfolio and what a great opportunity this is. There are certain words along those lines where it's like, are you trying to grift me? That's, that's kind of like yeah. a yellow flag, but then red flag is like, Hey man, we don't, we don't need a contract or, and I, this is what I want to transition into is payment. Uh, I, I don't feel like I should pay you before you do any work. Um, yeah. if they're not willing to put some skin in the game at the beginning, no, those are two major red flags that I, I just I politely say, okay, well, you know, um, this these are the rules that I that I follow, and and uh, you know, I appreciate your time. I don't need this job, and so you know, if you'd like to, you know, if you'd like to follow, you know, the way this works out, then that's great. This is how it's going to go. You know, if they try to talk you out of it, you don't need to you don't need to have that conversation, which which brings me to one of the most important things to sift out bad actors and good actors, which is money up front. And, and like Josh said in the beginning, not every industry works this way. Um, like, like an example, um, editorial, uh, is, is way different. Right. But, yeah. um, but when you are a one-to-one, -one, you know, your business and someone's, someone else's business, um, you get money up front. And my rule is, if it's less than $5,000, I get 50% up front. If it's more than $5,000, I get 40% and then 30, 30. Um, and so I, I usually do two payments, one of 50, one of 50, or three payments, one of 40 and two of 30. And, yeah. and you do those on milestones. And so yeah. like, like what, what Scott was talking about before we went live on this podcast, kind of kicked off this whole topic, which is, um, you know, getting the payment is when you begin the work, you know, yeah. I, and if they're like, and, and I've had this conversation where they're like, oh, but man, I'm in such a big hurry. It's like, okay, well speed that check along then, you know, so that I can get started because yeah. I don't expect you to stiff me. I think you're a good person. Um, but I have a rule and you understand like how I've got to follow this cause I've been burnt in the past, not by you. And I don't expect you yeah. to, but it's just, it's just one of those things. And I've literally said this one time. They said, but we really need to get going on this, but it takes our accountants, you know, two weeks to get that check cut. And I said, we'll call your accountants and get them to cut it earlier. If you're really in a hurry for this rush job and you're paying me this rush fee, um, yeah. then you need to rush. I'm just going to yeah. wait. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I will, I also want to preface that with 
<coughs> make sure that you're not um, saying that with like a storyboarding job, um, which is going to charge like daily rates, right? Um, or or like a specific kind of job. Like you want to research the industry you're doing this in. Yeah. But I would say for in general, for like especially a straight up illustration for a kids book. Um, for like, you know, if you're getting hired to do something substantial, particularly what Corey was mentioning about getting it in thirds, like it'd be kind of ridiculous to get the payment for like a t-shirt design in thirds, um, because it's a single illustration. So half up front, pretty fair, you know, um, because you're guaranteed to at least walk away with that money and they're guaranteed to at least walk away with delivery of the first round of artwork. Um, that also by the way, it should be included, just tying into contracts again, include that as, um, you know, like if you take like 50% off uh, up front as a retainer, that's a retainer that gets forfeited if they don't pay yeah. at the end. So that's another thing to kind of assure that you'll get paid for your work because at that point they're 50% invested. And if you deliver on the brief, like they're going to want to use that art and not be out 50 percent you know and and i Um, i I will also say this along those lines josh as a general rule i say these are general rules but mm -hmm. as a general rule never turn over your source files until you get the final payment Um, because once you give high resolution files you no longer have any leverage um, and they just got it for 50 percent off right and uh and i've had that same conversation oh but but ck we're in a huge hurry cool Cut me that check or you can pay yep. me online. You know, it's fine. I, there's lots of different ways to give me that money. As soon as you get it to me, you'll have, you'll have those files in minutes. I've got them right here. So, so let me tell like one horror story because I don't have a lot, but there's this one where I did this graphic novel job for a client and it was like 80 pages or so. And uh, they paid every installment except the very last installment. And they made up an excuse for not paying the last installment. Like they had to do some pitches and stuff with the art that they'd been provided. Um, and in that case, that was one of those scenarios where they had all the files and it was right. just literally the last installment. It was such a small amount compared to the whole job that I didn't pursue it too much. But it was like two years later, I got an email from that same person saying, hey, do you have those source files again? We lost <laughs> them. And I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> it's like, hey, do you have that final payment plus 15 years interest? Well, that's what I told him. I was like, you know, by contract, like this is how much interest you go, um, you know, due to like the, the failure to pay for this amount of time. And, you know, um, I'm under no obligation to hold any of those files after they've been delivered. And, and so I'm never like that with most clients. But in that case, I have to admit it was like a very poetic moment that kind of made, made it almost worth. In fact, probably was worth the amount that I didn't get. Um, cause yeah, spite sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. so, uh, Squatchy in the chats was mentioning that with tattooing, that's why he's hesitant to kind of quote over the phone because, oh, right. um, like three, you know, what, what everybody calls three inches varies in person. So they might be like, I need a three inch tattoo. And then they show what three inches is <laughs> and it's, you know, like a foot, yeah. um, you know, a three inch tattoo that's like you know, covering my entire back. Um, I can imagine with tattooing, that's, that's probably a scenario too, where you definitely want to be getting paid generally with tattooing, right? It's before the work, I think, um, is even completed that you're kind of putting it in. And if it's a tattoo that's going to take like 
a couple sessions. I think they do it in chunks. Correct me if I'm wrong, Squatchy. I'd love to hear how you guys deal with pricing. But ag- um, but again, well. because of because of uh, the different ways that art works in different industries, yeah, you know there are different practices, and so we're, we're kind of speaking generally and mainly about specific types of graphic design and illustration. Um, yeah, but definitely talk to talk to the people and figure out. And in some industries people aren't going to talk to you. And in other industries, people are going to be happy to talk to you because, you know, they, they're going to remember what it was like to try to figure it out themselves or whatever. Um, yeah. but, uh, but for the most part, most creatives are going to be happy to kind of discuss this and, and whatever. And it's, it's a really, really interesting thing. Another, another important part of the contract that I want to talk about is a kill fee, um, or, yes. or a cancellation fee build into the contract um, what happens if the client decides to kill it? Uh, and, and I'll tell I'll tell a story and I'll use generalities. Um, this is probably one of the bigger jobs I've ever gotten. Um, I, I sat down with with a company and they had planned this giant job, multiple video, multiple illustration, multiple animation type thing, like big thing. I was gonna have to build a team around it and whatnot. And uh, and we settled at twelve thousand dollars for the for the gig, right? And, uh, and so because of that, I took, you know, I took three payments. So I said, all right, let's, let's get going on this. And they were like, yeah, we're really, really excited to do this. And we're, we're in a huge hurry because our salesmen are about to hit the road and this is really going to help us sell and blah, blah, blah. And I said, great, that's great. And so they had no problem. Give me the, the checks. So they gave me the check and then it was this hurry up and wait. I just was waiting and I'm like, I need I need what we agreed to so that I can get started on this. Let's get some shooting dates. Let's get a script going, you know, and, and they were never negative. It was always like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's our fault. Uh, you know, we're kind of getting caught up in this, in this loop and everything. And then a year later, um, I, I checked in with them two or three times and then I just kind of said, well, they'll get back to me when they get back to me. So I didn't touch that money. Right. Because and in, in, that's bad practice to, to spend it before, yeah. right? And so I, I kept it in a separate bank account. A year later, they came back to me. Hey, um, I realized that we're, we're outside of the range of the contract. Can we renegotiate? Um, we still want the same thing. And I said, yeah, let's 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 just pick it up where we left off. That's fine. Let's go. I've already got the, I've still got the money, so let's do it. Um, same situation. They get back into kind of bureaucratic hell of kind of you know uh, decision by committee back and forth a few times with me at this point in time, I've met with them a dozen times. Um, you know, so there's like 12 hours worth of meeting time that I've put into this project. Then, um, nothing again for another year. And so year two of this same time they come up, let's do it. Okay. And so I get back into it again and then, and then we started it up and and whatever. I meet with them another two or three times to get everything going and then nothing happened. And so I have in the contract a kill fee that says that, um, you know, if the client decides to kill this project, any money that has been paid, you know, uh, you know, is non-refundable and the client will also pay um, whatever percentage of the project has been has been done. And so if they pay 30 percent, but you do 50 percent of the work, they still owe you 20 percent of that payment. Yeah. Um, and, and most companies are going to say, you know what, we, we changed gears. We understand that you put a bunch of work into this. That's fine. Uh, let's, let's square this up and we're good to go. Um, and in that case, you know, um, 
I just didn't hear from him again. And so after two years, I, I figured, okay, I'm going to enact that kill fee. And so I just sent him a little note that said, hey, I realize you guys are super busy. I'd love to work with you when you're ready. Um, I'm just going to kind of invoke this kill fee in this in the contract just so you guys know. I'm going to close this loop. Um, you know, if you it, when when you're ready, call me up and we'll you know we'll renegotiate and get another contract started. Um, and there's other times where they just change their mind and they just say, hey, I want something different. You know, sorry, you're done. We're killing this project. And then you say, yeah. okay, great, that's good. Let me just remind you that you know if you're if you're going to cancel this project, that I am 65% of the way through. You know, you've signed off on two of those milestones, so you're aware of the progress that I've made. You know, we have in writing that you agree that I've done this much, um, you know, via email and whatnot. So I'll just shoot you an invoice for the remainder of what you owe me. Um, yeah. And, it, and if you say it like that and you don't say it like like you're begging or trying to negotiate, it's just an expected thing. It's way different where you're just like, oh, yeah, no problem. I, I completely understand. Um, let's see, where are, where are we right now? Oh, yeah, you've already paid me 50%. Um, I've done a little bit more than 50%, so I'll, I'll bill you for the remainder. And just let me know if you need me in the future. Yeah, and and here's the thing that I want to say, right? I know, like, um, if somebody's, like, new to this whole thing and, like, charging for art, they might be like, oh, this just sounds like a lot or, like, <laughs> even if they start researching like the rates you should be charging hourly to come up with your estimates, they might be like, Oh, that's a lot of money. And I'm a student. I don't need that much. You know, right. um, a, a lot of this stuff just to kind of take you away from that mindset. Cause I think that mindset's encouraged by like, um, what I've called like the Titanic mindset where it's like all artists are just aching for a moment to draw you like one of their French girls kind of things, <laughs> um, where art just flows out of you and you just, you do art for fun, right? Um, and and I, I I really think there's a devaluing to the industry that's that's come from like the societal idea that what we do is so different from a craft. Yeah. And I think if you just kind of approach it from the standpoint of like when you're setting up your business, you really want to start almost thinking about it like you're a plumber or you're a contractor, like a housing contractor, because you are a contractor. You're doing labor by contract. And so, you know, just think about this, like if somebody comes to your house to fix your pipes or whatever, and you've, you've told them a problem and they've told you their hourly rate, they come in and they give you an estimate of how much time it takes. Um, if you can't afford it, you usually just go, dude, I just can't afford it. (laughs) Right. Um, but rarely are you going to sit down with like a plumber and be like, that's really going to take a few hours to fix. Like, are are you sure it's going to take two hours? Like if you started haggling with a plumber like that, they'd just leave and be like, good luck. Get somebody else to fix your pipes, you know? Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I'll do this, especially with mechanics. Um, I'll take, uh, Hey Scott, that's near the mic, whatever's going on. That's okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the mechanic say, Hey, check it over. And they give you this bill. Like, yeah. Uh, if you, if you need to fix everything in your car, it's going to be, you know, $3,500. And it's like, well, it's a $2,000 car. So what I'll ask them is don't work. I don't, I don't, I never ask them for work to work for less, but I will say, um, what's needed, you know, what's, what's actually a necessary fix, you know, like an emergency fix. What's something that I need to kind of budget for. And what's just the stuff that would be super nice to have. And yeah. And every mechanic that I've ever talked to is like, this gasket is a, is a major problem that is just waiting to kill your engine. Uh, this stuff, 
you know, you should do that in the next six months. This stuff is just like I wouldn't touch it. It's not worth the money. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's a fine that's a fine thing to do. And that's why I do the ABC thing with with people is, you know, like hey, I'll 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 draw you everything in the world. You know, if if you pay for it, but you probably yeah. only need this. You know, and so yeah. if they come back and they're like, oh man, I can't afford that. Um, don't just be like. Ah, well, sucks to be you. I'm out, right? Say, yeah. say, hey, I completely understand. Um, I've been thinking about this, and I think what you actually need is this, right? It'd be nice to have yeah. this other stuff, but I can give you this for this much, um, and that might be so, a, that might be better in your budget. You are not lowering your price. You are lessening the amount point. of you're lessening and, and, the amount of work you're doing. Yeah, that's a fair point, and it's a really, really good advice. I think that you can lose clients potentially if somebody comes to you and they say. I want a crowd scene. I want every person in the crowd um, completely detailed and I want it in full color and I want it 11 by 17 and ready for print in full bleed. Yeah. And then you look at their budget and it's like not a budget that is going to pay you what you need hourly um, to like keep a roof over your head or make it worth your while. And so um, basically the value that you're going to provide isn't being offered an equal value monetarily and so what you want to do is like instead of turning that person down you can say hey well here's three other ways we could execute like what i think you're trying to do in in a more feasible manner that'll fit your budget like maybe instead of full color maybe we can go to like a one-tone color or a two-tone color so we're doing a minimal palette you know we'll still make it really classy maybe instead of showing every member of the crowd maybe we can do some of that in shorthand like maybe we can focus in on a few people in the crowd and then show like the semblance of a crowd in the background <clears throat> basically what you're doing is telling somebody with like a very small budget who wants to make an indie film who says and then the rocket ships are going to take off in outer space and there's a giant epic space battle and you're like yeah, we don't have the budget for CG. So how can we kind of tell that story on a smaller budget? Maybe it's the, the actors same thing. Can it's just a reality about, check maybe for they a person can talk with about the space a limited battle. budget. Sorry. What? I said maybe the actors can talk about the space battle. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right? maybe it can be a, a semblance of a space battle. Maybe yeah. you can cut the CG down so that it, it you know, it's, it's more of like a shot of the earth with like a very small spaceship that you don't see a lot of detail on. So it looks high budget, but it's under budget. Or everybody um, on, everybody on the deck uh, lurches when we shake the camera. And exactly. Then and then it'll feel uh, like you just can't. Sorry. <laughs> I love it though. No, the, but those are, those are considerations that everyone takes in every creative inve- endeavor. And so at that point you become kind of an ally of the client finding what they need. If it gets to a point where what they need does not fit what you can afford to do, then, you know, like, and this is something I always keep in my, the back of my head too, is like, at what point does a project become more annoying? Um, and it, like meaning, Am I seeing someone else's vision come to life when I could be doing that with my own vision? Um, and then at what point, like monetarily, does that become pretty much the same thing? Um, yeah. I hope that kind of makes sense the way I worded that. Yeah. But to me, I'm like monetarily budgeting it of like if I'm not doing my own vision, um, then like second in priority for like low budget would be like, hey, Scott's got this crazy vision. And I'm on board with Scott because he's a friend of mine. So maybe I'll take a lower rate because it's Scott yeah. and it's his vision. 
Now, if it's Scott and it's another client's vision, suddenly that's a rung down. Does that make sense? Yeah. But like if I'm literally talking to somebody who's not a friend, not a family member, they're calling me buddy on the phone. Um, that's a really big warning sign. If it's somebody you don't know and they're calling you buddy and pal and hey, man, you know, like, you know, let's just do a deal. It's like, to me, just the hairs stand up a little bit. Right. So I'm like, I'm not your, we're not buddies. Like, this is a business transaction. Um, and it's not bad to be friendly in business. But my point is like, there's a, there's a fake friendly that's, that's really good to be leery of um, when it comes to like pricing and stuff. So anyhow. Point being, that was a really long <laughs> tangent, but the point um, that I was getting at is just that, um, you know, if you realize that your art has value and that it's actually work to do, which is something you'll realize one way or another, like you're going to realize it's work when you're drawing the 50th person in that crowd scene I mentioned before, yeah. you know, um, you're going to realize it's work when you're on your fifth revision of that crowd scene because they wanted everybody to have hats and they didn't mention that in the original brief. Um, (laughs) These things happen because it's communication and communication is flawed. And so the contract just protects you and protects you from um, potential bad actors, but it also protects the client. And the, the last thing I feel like we didn't mention is that here's the problem with your contract for you as the artist. Number one, it, it, it pretty much needs to ensure that you're going to do the job. Um, if you don't do the job that you're being hired to do, you're, you're in trouble by your own contract. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's, a, that's an essential thing to be in there. The second thing that's a really good restraint on us as creatives is that if you don't hit that deadline, um, you're in trouble too. Yeah. And by your own contract, because our that doesn't hit deadlines is um, sometimes completely useless to the person who hired it, who, who paid for it. Yeah. It's like also, I just want to interject real quick. Make sure that that deadline is contingent on when you're getting things back from exactly. the client because yes. a client could drag their feet forever for, you know, 30 days and then you've got two weeks. I mean, and then you got a, a you know, you got three days to complete it. And what you're supposed to, you're supposed to do that in that amount of time. So it's, it's, you do it in stages. So yeah, make sure you don't like, you know, you can say like, for instance, if they want to hit a specific date, you know, work out like Corey and I have talked about this. Scott's talked about this too before, but it's just back planning. So you want to back plan it and have check-in stages each time. Cause like a contract has to be contingent on mutual steps. And so the point being like, you know, if, if, uh, the rough stage, um, you know, the delivery date from rough approval to final approval is contingent on the feedback based on the roughs that you provided. So you want to make sure you work that in the contract. And, and like, once again, you can say, you know, if feedback is received by this point, then we should be able to hit this deadline. But if feedback, you know, like it'll take this long from the point of feedback to the point of delivery. Yeah. You know, and then once again, like you're human beings. So like most people don't flip out if you got like a fever in the middle of working on a massive project and it might have to be delayed. I think as long as it's communicated, people are usually pretty forgiving. Yeah. But um, 
but yeah, the contract also protects the client from you blowing a deadline um, if they've hit all their marks, you know. Um, but it also, like Scott very wisely pointed out, you got to build that into the contract so that it also ensures that they will hit their deadlines and what you need for you to do that job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we wanted to talk about licensing, um, and I think we should save that for another episode um, because I'd love to hear uh, Scott's thought on thoughts on that um, as well as you, Josh. Um, but we are... We are uh, 90 minutes into this, so should we, uh, Let's should call, we call it? it? Okay. So, yeah. So, um, uh, any any final thoughts, Scott? Um, we kind of, we, we talked a lot of anything else that you uh, you want to throw in there kind of as uh, to wrap all this up? Uh, I don't I don't know that you really could wrap it all up. I think right. I think we could probably do this. We could do, do a whole series on this and it would, we still wouldn't cover everything. So, um yeah, there's there's still a lot of stuff, but I don't want to keep dragging on this. You know, I think it might be something we just need to revisit. Yeah, yeah. So Agreed. let's let's do that. Actually, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, in in the comments here, um, if you're listening to this podcast later, come and find us on uh, uh, CoreyKerr.com/slash/48hr um, and find this video and leave us a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment. Um, what are your What are your questions about negotiation? What are your questions about pricing? What are your questions about um, contracts um and that type of thing and and also um i think i think we will kind of build a little series kind of out of this um you know maybe not sequentially but um you know every once in a while when the three of us get together i think this this little brain trust has got enough different angles on the industry that that i think that'd be really valuable so um so let us know let us know what you would like to know about this type of thing and uh and i'm sure one of us will have have the answer, um, which will be interesting. So if you want to check out, uh, check out what we're doing, go to coreycurcom slash 48 HR. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast podcast, it is available wherever podcasts are sold for the price of free. And, uh, you can go there and leave a review. Some of you have left a review, which I was going to pull up here, but I don't have it in front of me. So I will do that next time. Um, if you want to check out my work, you can go to coreycurcom and uh, I've got all, all kinds of stuff going on there. If you want to check out Josh's work, you can go to quarterlystories.com, which is also available on Tapas, and, uh, which is a mobile app where you can read comics and do all kinds of cool things. So check that out. And as always, you can check out um, Scott Circlin's work at cirqueworks.com. Um, brand new site, really good looking stuff. And um, if you sign up for his email newsletter, uh, you're going to get a lot of really cool assets for making comments. Uh, there's a, uh, there's this whole pack that he's giving away. And then if you stay subscribed, he'll give away stuff every once in a while as, as he makes it. And so wait, jump on wait, that Corey, well. how much is that pack? That pack is actually free. Oh, free wow. for the it's free thing. Price of an email. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping in and hanging in there with us. Uh, we will check the, I'll check the quality of this feed, and if it's not good, I'll upload the the local file I've got. So we'll catch you guys in a couple days. All right. Bye.